Let's pray our hands. Father God, thank you so much for a chance again to learn about being good stewards of all of your resources you entrust to us. So guide us with your wisdom and your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So last time we uh, do, did oh, a today, little bit. Today is, today is. Today's day three. Financially planning for kids, training kids, and financing Adventist education. All right. So our text is, For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. So what are our responsibilities as parents to our kids as they grow up into young adulthood? We'll be looking at that. we got a few quotes. We're going to do a review, okay. So for, we're going to do a really quick review. Um, Monday we talked about God owns it all, we're his stewards, and everything we're supposed to be doing is to glorify him, right? Yesterday we talked about getting and staying out of debt and budgeting and investing early for your mar- in your marriage and your health and your savings. All that helps later on. We talked about the, the, the beauty of compound interest and how much it means the earlier you start, the better off you are. A couple things <coughs> that um, we kind of missed yesterday, and I want to bring it back around. Um, when we were talking about how we did things, I want you guys to all know that we had a head start over most people. Absolutely. <laughs> so you're not everyone's going to be at the same place that we were. Um, we actually both graduated debt-free, and we had two or three years of working double-income to get us at a, at a really good start. So not everybody gets that same advantage. But just like we said the first day, um, if you haven't had the benefit of, of, of your parents helping you have a good, solid start, you can become that for the next generation. And that's what we're talking about today is passing it on to the next generation. So um, I don't want anyone to be discouraged. And then the other thing is somebody asked a question, and I totally missed it when we were talking about budgeting yesterday. What happens if you have... Uh, a, a fluctuating income, like we put in a number of there as income. Well, that's great if you get a paycheck, but if you have a fluctuating income, what do you do? Well, what you really have to do is you have to figure out what you make over the course of a year and divide it by 12 and use that. Now, for the first few months, if you're making less than, it's going to be really tight, it's going to be hard, but you figure out what you make over the course of the year and divide it by 12, and then every month, you set aside those certain amounts for those budget categories and you don't go over it. Now, if you have a month that you get more than what you, what you have budgeted, then you're saving it for the months where you have less. So you have to even it out yourself over the course of a, of a year. And it might take a while to catch up, but too often when we have a fluctuating income, we have a, a month that we have a lot of income, so we buy a lot of things, and then we have a month that's small income, and we don't know where, where it's coming from. We have to be disciplined enough to, to say that this is how much per month, and even if I have extra coming in, I'm not sa- spending it. I'm going to save it for those months where we're short. So those are the two things that we forgot from yesterday. <laughs> All right. Today, we're going to be talking about a Christian home environment because we're talking about raising our kids. Um, there's been some really interesting quotes that we found from Ellen White while we were doing this research that just kind of blew my mind. And I wish that I had been more aware of it, or I, I know I read them, but I, for some reason it went over my head when I had kids. So this is probably one of the things that I wish I could go back and do over, but um, we're going to read you some quotes and see what you think about this stuff. 
when you have a holiday, make it a pleasant and happy day for your children, and make it also a pleasant day for the poor and the afflicted. Do not let the day pass without bringing thanksgiving and thank offerings to Jesus. Let our parents and children now make earnest effort to redeem the time and to remedy their past neglect. Let them follow a different course of action from that which the world follows. And, you know, he, he uh, highlighted the redeeming of time part. <laughs> and for, for me, if I was highlighting it, I would talk about how we need to follow a different course of action from what the world follows. And when you look at what the world does now, it is so totally different than from what God would have us to do. Um, and I even think about what the world is now compared to when we had kids or even back when I was a kid. Um, for instance, it talks about, um, uh, does it say birthday? This one doesn't say birthday. No, holidays. This one's okay. Holidays. This one says holidays. All right, we'll, we'll get to that. Here's another one. Parents are to train their children in habits of self-control and self-denial. They are to educate their children that there is need of living in accordance with the simple habits of their daily life and to avoid expensive dress, expensive diet, expensive houses, and expensive furniture. And I don't think that we as a society teach our children that. <laughs> I'm hoping that we as Christians do, but I know a society this is so far from what we practice in our society now. Okay, on birthday anniversaries and Christmas and Thanksgiving festivals, oh, I'm sorry, our birthday anniversaries and Christmas Thanksgiving festivals are too often devoted to selfish gratification when the mind should be directed to the mercy and loving kindness of God. If all the money that was used extravagantly for needless things were placed in the treasury of God, we should see men and women and youth giving themselves to Jesus and doing their part to cooperate with Christ and the angels. The richest blessings of God would come into our churches and many souls would be converted to the truth. You know, talking about oh, the money that goes out on, on holidays. You know, how, how soon does the store start stocking Christmas now? October. Yeah. Oh my word! And the amount of money that goes out. And it used to be Christmas and Thanksgiving, but now it's holiday, Halloween, and Easter, and and St. Patrick's Day, and I mean all these little holidays that used to be nothing. There is an enormous outlay of money that goes into these holidays. It's incredible. So some things that we learned um, when we were with younger kids is for one Thanksgiving, we, we actually were able to go to a soup kitchen. And, uh, you know, just teaching the kids, it's not about getting and all the nice things. And we, we had a decent Thanksgiving meal, don't get me wrong. But we also wanted to have them have the privilege of serving others who didn't have something so much to be thankful for. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's changing our focus. And Christmas too. You know, one of the things we did is we made hot chocolate for the garbage truck driver coming through, for the fire department. We made cookies and went and visited them Christmas Eve. And, you know, just spreading around the cheer to get the focus off of what can, what can I get out of it for me? What's in it for me is um, giving some cheer to somebody else on the holidays. Um, so... Um, it used to be when you had birthdays, and, and I think about it now, there's, there's three or four more quotes we finally cut out because we just had too much in the seminar. But she talked about birthdays, how, who should we be praising the Lord for? 
you know, it's, we're thankful to God for another year of life, and yet all the attention goes on the person whose birthday it is, instead of the attention being on glorifying God, right? Um, I think, I, you know, I think of, of graduations, and it, it's true we want to celebrate somebody's accomplishment, but now they throw entire meals, and you have open houses, and I mean, it's just so far extravagant compared to, I mean, when you graduated, did you have all of that stuff when you graduated? Some of you that are older? You had all those parties and everything? Oh, man, I didn't. Maybe it's maybe, maybe, it's maybe it's West, Coast, West Coast versus East Coast. Because yeah. West Coast, we did not do that. I mean, yeah. open houses, that was just not heard of. So that, it's kind of a culture shock for us coming to Michigan. But, um, and I think of now birthday parties, the birthday kid feels the parents, not even the birthday kid, but the mother feels like she has to give gifts to all the kids who come to the party. That's a huge expense, you know? Um, and I have to say, um, one of the people that I really admire in our conference here, I saw that they had a birthday party. I thought this was the coolest idea. Um, the girl, she was probably 12, and she asked, instead of gifts, she asked for people to bring things for the, the, the local Humane Society. And that was her gifts. Everyone brought gifts brought, wrapped up, but it was for the Humane Society. And then she had the joy of taking all the gifts to the, and giving it to the Humane Society. So there was still a party, and they still had fun, and they still had gifts, but it wasn't all just showered on one person. It was, it was turned around and given to somebody else. And a lot of times I see on Facebook adults do fundraising, you know, for my birthday, they're doing it for Adger, they're doing it for, you know, whatever, some, some kind of a, um, mission, project. a mission project. And that, they say that that's what they're raising money for. Instead of gifts, they want it to go to somebody else, which I think is a really cool idea. So the point being, we want to change our perspective from glorifying people to glorifying God, right? And we are thankful for birthdays and we're thankful for Christmas, but we need to change our perspective. All right. Now we want to talk. This is probably going to be the, uh, a, a big bulk of it. Making Christian education work. And we know that Christian education is expensive. We know that because we've put three kids through Christian education. And we're on the tail end of that. College is very expensive. Two more years. Yeah, hopefully two more years. Yeah. <laughs> Might be three. I don't know. So how do you make it work? So first off, yeah, I'm going to let you do this one. Living simply. Uh, just, we had to learn to live simply because we knew that when those college years came, if we didn't start setting the money away early, we would have no financial basis to really help our kids get through debt-free. Again, our whole goal is to have our kids come through school debt-free so they can be free to serve God immediately in whatever capacity God calls them. And oftentimes that's in self-sacrificing mission endeavors. Uh, so we, we started early learning how to, to, live, to live simply. simply. So we're going to give you some, these are just, I mean, we could have dozens and dozens, but this is just some that we thought of. Think small. So when we talk about small, we got a little 1,300 square foot uh, house when we started. Um, then we went and we entered ministry three years later from PT and nursing income to uh, stipend, stipend as a pastor and two days a week PT. Uh, then we went to a little 800-square-foot house at Bering Springs when we were at seminary with uh, two kids. That was tight, but it was okay. And the third one came while we were there. Yeah, the third one came while we were there. Then we went back, and we got a 1,008-square-foot house back in uh, 
Montana, so another small little house, uh, one bathroom. That was quite a congestion for all five of us, but it worked. And think small on cars, and, and we're just talking about two big things, but think small across the board. You know, we have a tendency, like we've talked about yesterday, of everything being big. You know, we need to to pair back because what our goal is is debt-free living, and so sometimes it means some sacrifices. Sometimes it gets bigger, like when my parents moved in with us and they brought money, and we ended up buying a large house with a big monster pool and. And you know, when they as soon as they passed away, immediately we just got right back down to small because. And actually, and this is we're we're in a new stage in our life even right now. Yeah. We're down to a one car family. Yeah. Um, because we got kids in school and we're doing everything we can to pair every place we can to have money to to support Christian. First education. time in thirty years. Yeah. We had a one car. We're down family. to a one car family. My kids have cars. They need them. At, at, you know. So between Bob and I, and and it's a little bit of a. Sacrifice, you know, it we is. have to really plan our schedules. Thankfully, you know, I don't work out of the home, so it is it's a doable option, but it is very difficult, especially for me, because he has the excuse that it's his work, so he gets first yeah. dibs on my car. Well, that's not exactly true because <laughs> know, every stay-at-home wife does work somewhere. <laughs> they got their home front, but she works at Strong Tower Radio as a volunteer, and she does free clinics at the medical as a nurse. Yeah. So she does work, and we have to work out those schedules. You know, it's kind of interesting to try and juggle and that And we have sometimes. to think way far in advance because we know something's coming up where he's going to be someplace one weekend, and I'm supposed to be at a different place, and we're trying to figure out how to make it work, you know, and... And thankfully, we live in Cadillac, and they've got a really great public transit system. So if, it, if worse comes to worse, I'll take the bus. So some of the other ways, simple, is like um, secondhand stuff. Uh, when we sold from my folks living with us, and, and the kids are all gone now, we got rid of a lot of stuff at a garage sale. And we discovered that garage sales, you don't make money. <laughs> you hardly make money. So when you're, looking, when you're looking for things like, you know, things for gardening and tools and stuff like that, you can get it really cheap at a garage sale. And that's a great place to go for some of the things, the basics you need around your house. When people are moving, they just want to get rid of stuff and get out of town. So when our, um, our dryer at home broke, we went on Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace and found a used dryer. You know, you don't have to go to the store and buy new. You just, so it's, you know, tools, books, appliances, clothes. Um, our, we rosed our kids on Goodwill and secondhand clothes stores. And it bothered him for a little while, but it was funny because um, when my daughter was probably 13 or 14, I can't remember, we were in a secondhand store and she found a pair of brand name jeans, you know, and bought them, what, $4 or something. And, and her friends had the same jeans and had paid like 50 bucks. And she bragged to them. She says, well, I paid only $4 for mine. How many you pay? You know? And for her, it was a real good, you know, a real thing. Um, when they got a little older teenagers, it was it was a little bit more humbling for them, and they didn't like that. And at that point, they were working on their own. And I said, you know, when we were buying, when I was buying the clothes for them, I said, I will pay what I would pay at a secondhand store. If you want something different, you have to you have to make up the difference for for shoes or for whatever. Um, or for shoes, it's hard to get secondhand shoes. So you know, I'll pay what I would pay at Walmart for a pair of shoes. And if you want the brand name, you have to pay for it. You have to pay the difference. So, um, but secondhand or bargain racks like at Kohl's, they have okay, really good bargain that's racks. Coming, that's coming. Clearing racks, yep. <laughs> clearance racks, and that's the other thing I taught my kids. You never pay full price. Just don't do it. When you walk into a store, 
just walk straight to the clearing rack. Don't, don't even look in your, and that's one thing that's bad about shopping because when you get in and shop, you don't realize you need something until you see it, do you? The more you go shopping, the more you need. And the less you shop, the less you need. So I would just say, you know, close your eyes. We're just going right to the back of the store. We'll clear the clearance rack and we'll go out of the store. We're not going to stop and look at things that we, you know, we can't afford. There's no point. Okay. Um, another way of saving money is cooking from scratch versus buying prepaid or prepared food or going out to eat. And it's a little bit more difficult, but then again, if you're a stay-at-home mom, you have a little bit more time, although if you've got kids, you don't have a lot more time. But um, um, buying in bulk, you know, I buy 25 pounds of oatmeal at a time, and it's cheaper that way, and we use a lot because I use it in a lot of my cooking, and I buy 25 pounds of beans, and I buy 25 pounds of lentils, and Rogers is good at that, but so is Country Life. And most towns, you can find a co-op if you ask. You just ask around, find out where there's a co-op, and you can buy bulk foods for much less expensive expense. Okay. Oh, that we just talked about. But the, the caution with buying bulk and Sam's Club and what's the other one? Costco. Costco. Those are great stores for saving money as long as you're not spending more than you would have anyway because you're buying a brand name, number one. And number two, if you're buying more than you can actually use, and especially when you're buying fresh produce or, or things like things that go bad. If you buy a lot and then you don't use it, you waste it, you've just wasted your money. So only, only buy in bulk if you actually can use it before it goes bad or you don't need it anymore. The other thing about uh, Sam's Club was, you know, they have some really cool sports stuff and there's all sorts of places I could have spent a ton of a lot of money and actually, one of the reasons why we stopped going to Sam's is our kids had moved out. We really didn't need all the bulk anymore. And I needed to get rid of the temptation because I succumbed to it a little bit too often. And, oh, that would be so much fun. Let's just get that. So, Okay, generic versus brand name. You know, we were talking about uh, clothes. And, and you don't always need to get brand name clothes. Same thing for shopping in the store. You know, you got a can of corn, a generic brand or a name brand. You're going to pay different. So... I remember when I was in uh, Orville, California, they had a cannery there. They had corn, they were canning it, and they just put on different labels. Exactly. And you go, same it's the corn. same product, and it was going to three different stores under different labels with three different prices on it. I was blown away. So just because you got a fancy label doesn't mean it's a superior product necessarily. Um, research before you purchase. Um, we actually have have subscribed to Consumer Reports for a long time because we like to research what we're going to get. Absolutely. Um, I think you end up spending less in the long run when you buy something that's quality. And not quality doesn't always mean price-wise. Um, a lot of times in Consumer Reports, you'll find that some of the cheaper things are actually better quality. And the thing that I really like the most is that they, they show repair history. So I'm going to get something that doesn't break down as often. So um, do some good research, and especially the more something costs, the more research you should spend time research before you, you purchase it. Um, look for deals online or seasonal sales. Know, know the time of year, um, and you can, you can research that online. Google it, you know, when's the best time of year to buy whatever it is, and it'll tell you when, when the best prices for that are. And... Um, yeah, you just have to learn those things. And seasonal sales. Comparative shopping. 
We do that. We were talking about the insurance. So you're talking about the car insurance? Uh -huh. So we, we had car insurance with somebody for six years. It was great. They had great service. We liked them a lot. We moved to Cadillac. Um, we do compare shopping. You know, it's interesting. The shepherdesses uh, put online. We're, you know, here's a great insurance company. And uh, you know what? Um, we checked it out, and they beat us by quite a bit on the price. And so uh, we shifted over and saved, I don't know, was it five or $600 a year? Yeah. It was a blowout in my mind. It's like, really? That much? But even with insurance, it's good to every couple years to shop around. Yeah. They know that, you're, that, that people have loyalty, and we should. You know, I, I want to be a good witness, too. I don't want to be so stingy that people are like, oh, there she comes, you know. But um, I also want to be a good steward of God's resources. So every couple years, check around. Because um, your insurance company, even with your own insurance company, go in and say, you know, am I getting the best deal? Because they'll, yeah. they'll, they, can, they can find you a better deal, especially if they know that you're checking around other places too. <laughs> One other thing that goes with that was propane. When we moved into our house that we bought, um, we looked and asked for the best prices. We got recommendations from the church family. Who's the best company? And coin was the best. So our neighbor comes in, and he got a different company. He said, what are you getting per gallon? I, I told him that, and they were costing a little bit more. And I said, we'll match that, we'll match that. And it's like, so after a year, they bumped their prices up. But coin didn't bump their prices up. So, you know, it's like, yeah, they will match that to get you in as a customer. But after that first year or so, they're going to start sliding those prices up to where they, they would have been so otherwise. when you're doing comparison shopping, find out what people are paying who've been with the company for more than a year. Not just what their introductory rate is. They were, they were really, I was surprised how much more it cost later. It's like, wow, you guys are really paying a lot. I'm glad we stuck with coin. So. Okay, so the last one I think I have here, yeah, is shop alone. Um, I have to say, every time I take someone to the store with me, I spend more. Every time. Even when it's my husband. Especially yeah. when it's my husband. <laughs> so, um, you know, we want to, we want to. You know, he says he wants something. I want him to be happy. I'm going to say yes just because I want to make him happy, you know? And so, I, and especially when you have kids. If you have kids with you, you always spend more. So if at all possible, stop alone. Stick with a list. Make a list when you're going to go to the store and stick with it. And for my kids, I told them if it's not on your list, you have to wait 24 hours to get it. Because, you know, they go in the store and they go in the store to buy something and then they see something else they want, you know? Oh, I want that. It's like, okay, well, that's not on your list. So we can buy what you came for, or we can come back later after your 24 hours because, you know, they, they want it, and then they get home, and it's like, eh, no, I really don't want that. You know, so, yeah, it, it requires a little bit of self-discipline, but if you determine not to buy outside of your list, you'll save money because I'm telling you, the stores, they have, they study our behavior. They really do. They, yeah. they they have teams of people that watch how you shop and and they follow what you do on your on your apps and your shop. Have you noticed that when you shop for something online, pretty soon ads for that are popping up all over the place? It's amazing. They really they re put a lot of time and money into studying how you do it, and they they target you. So you have to be very vigilant. You can't just kind of go with the flow because otherwise they'll get you. So, we're talking about how to cut down on our expenses so that we'll have more for Christian education. Another way of affording Adventist education is to do some homeschooling. 
especially when they're young. Now, I believe in our Adventist school, and I don't want anyone to go out of here and say that we don't support our Adventist education, because I do. But I, said, I think that especially with our young, really small kids, I don't think a year or two extra at home hurts, and that can save. But it only saves if you actually save. If the money that you would have spent on their education just gets eaten up somewhere else, it's really not much of a savings, is it? So if you're going to homeschool, take the money that you would have put towards their education and put it away towards their education, because you will need it later. So um, I think too often we save money and we just spend it somewhere else and it's not saved. Start early on saving for college. Um, so when I was born, my grandpa put $1,000 down for college education for me, and same thing for my brothers. When my kids were born, my parents put down $10,000 on each of their grandkids. We have their only three grandkids, so we, get, we got all the money on that. So, and that went into a 529 plan, which meant it was tax deductible for them. And so, you know, if you have grandparents, uh, your parents say, you know, you know, sometimes just say, if you want to make a contribution to, you know, they say, how can we help you? Can you, if you want, could you make some a contribution to their education fund using the 529 plan? They get a tax deductible break. And most parents, they want to help their grandkids. I mean, the, the grandparents do. So it's best if you start early so that, going back to the principle of interest and compounding interest, you can maximize how much that small contribution can be to a bigger amount that will help when they hit college, when it's really expensive, and when you need to maximize those dollars. So start early. And you know, we talk here about grandparents, parents, and kids. All three should be, you know, putting in. It shouldn't just be the parents paying for the kids. You know, the kids need to be saving too. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in just a few minutes. Um, if you want more information about the 529 plans, those are, um, there's a lot of really great information on this website, savingforcollege.com. Um, it's actually on the back of your sheet. You can just circle it if you want. I tried to put it on there for you so you didn't have to write it down. Um, there's a lot of benefits to it. Um, it grows tax-free, and if it's used for education, it, you can pull it out tax-free. So um, it, it really helps a lot. Um, there's also some benefits because, let's say, um, they put it away for my daughter, Rebecca, and she decides she's not going to go to college. You can, you, can trade, or you can transfer the money from Rebecca to one of the other grandkids, still tax-free. So if it, as long as it's going for education, you can change for the person who it's going to go for and, and still use it. So you're not, it doesn't lock you in quite so hard, but it does need to be for education. If it's going to be for anything else, then you end up paying taxes. But it's, it's a great plan. All right, here's another one. <laughs> if you want to make Christian education work, you have to have faith. Um, you've got to do your best, but you have to trust God to do the rest, right? Um, he doesn't help us if we're just lazy, but if we're really doing our best, we can pray to him and say, God, you're going to have to make up a difference. I don't see how it's going to happen. There, there have been years where I just, I didn't see how we were going to put three kids through college debt-free. I just, it's like, God, I don't, and it's like, I had to keep reminding myself, well, Sina, God promises, and I have to stop worrying, because I just get so worried, 
and I have to stop and let it go. And, and you know, he has a thousand ways. And for us, it was that a couple of our kids dropped out of college. <laughs> That's not such a great thing, I know. But, um, you know, I was worried about all of them being in college in the same year and three tuitions. There's no way I could do that. But the way it worked, one dropped out, one went on a mission trip, and God worked it. So I never had more than two at a time. And most of the time, it was just one. And I, I don't know how it works. Honestly, I can't tell you how it works. I just know that it does, and God is faithful. You know, sometimes you get in a, a difficult situation. One of our church family, um, their daughter was lined up to go to one of our schools, and then the parents discovered that in order for her to make it, that they would need a cosign because they didn't have any other money, and they were not willing to let the church, to ask the church if they'd be willing to help. Honestly, we were willing to go to bat, but they didn't want to ask the church to help them. And uh, so they felt like, we can't co-sign because the Bible talks against co-signing. She came home. She's going to a public school for now. But community college. Community college. Her goal is to get back her junior, senior year and go to an Adventist school and finish out with their major. And sometimes, you know, that might be something that we need to seriously look at. Community colleges are much cheaper besides the kids get to stay home. And she's really being benefited by being able to be home with her folks for a little while. So, um... I believe in Adventist education, but you know, we have, you have to do what God is impressing you to do. We are not here to tell you how to do it. So I want to I open up options. I want to expand your thinking, but I don't want to tell you what to do. That's between you and God. Um, but this last one that we have on here is we have a church family, and that's what we're supposed to We are supposed to be there for each other. And I know that every church we've ever been at has a worthy student fund. And I know that people are too proud to ask for it, but I think we need, and I talked about this already once before, we need to allow other people to receive the blessing of helping us, right? Um, so if we're really at a place where um, we have done our very best and we need a little bit of help, you know, going to the church and asking for a little help, I don't think is a bad thing. No. You know, honestly, as I was listening to the education seminar by... Uh, Larry Blackmer, just they designed the curriculum over 12 years to go through all of our doctrines four times. And uh, there's like five doctrines that we don't talk a lot about at home. The remnant church concept, Ellen White the prophetess, um, state of the dead. We do talk about the Sabbath an awful lot um, and the sanctuary. So if you're not getting it at home, because we usually use a lot of devotional material and not so much doctrinal, uh, and more and more, a lot of pastors in various places are not preaching all of those messages. So if your kid isn't getting it at an Adventist Christian school, they might not be getting it at all. And those distinctive doctrines are really critical and important as we're here at the end of time. So we totally believe in the Adventist Christian education. The value is out of this world, honestly. It is so important. You can provide it at home as a homeschooler, family, um, but also at Adventist Christian school will provide that value as well. And it's worth the sacrifice. It's worth the sacrifice. And it is sacrifice. You know, we, we really have tried to live very frugally in order to make it work. Um, there's some schools that have a temple plan where the church really does pretty much pay for most everything for the kids. Um, I know we're in Cadillac, and they're on the temple plan. And so the families actually do not have a very big burden for the elementary school years. Um, I heard, was it Grand Rapids? Or no, Holland. I think it's Holland. Um, I just saw this on Facebook. There's a donor, who knows, I think it's an anonymous donor, who has agreed to pay for 
ninth and tenth for any kid coming to their um, local academy. So I was like, well, I want to move there. <laughs> and, you know, I, I'm not sure. You know, obviously, our kids are past that. But, um, you know, it might hurt to shop around and see what churches in your area are doing. And if there's a church that's volunteering to pay for education, that God provides. You know, who would have thought that somebody would just step in like that and... So I know when we first moved here, we moved to Holly, which used to have a Delphine Academy. And we heard stories of families who moved to Holly so their kids could be home with them, going through the high school years to make it affordable for them. You know, and that's always an option, too, is to get And I know people move here to this community mm -hmm. for the same reason. So they don't have to worry about paying for room and board. They'll, it's cheaper for them to move here and keep their kids at home and go to school here at Glaw so they can have their Adventist education and still afford it. So... Sometimes you just have to think outside the box and, and try and figure out how you can make it work. Um, and I know one family, the two moms went in together to get a house here for their kids. Their husbands stayed back and worked, and they would commute home on the weekends, or their husbands would commute up here. And there, it was a period of time where the families, I don't necessarily I recommend that. No, I'm not sure I, recommend I know. I, I, we really we do marriage seminars too. And I, you know, it's not good that man be alone. So it's not always, but maybe for a couple of years, if you know there's a, a finite period of time um, and you can work together with another family, that might make it more affordable as well. And if your husband works with the denomination, as you get close to those academy or high school years, you can say, we would love to be near a boarding school or a day academy uh, when our kids are in those years. And the conference really tries hard to accommodate that. If they can. Yep. Um, do any of you have ideas that made Christian education work for you? Not much of my mom. I remember everywhere we moved, um, she would be cheaper. Oh yeah, so like we went to Heritage Academy and my mom, she became the nurse, the chef, the and eventually so the teacher, Spanish teacher. So we actually went pretty much for free for high school. Awesome. That was a good point. I do know people who've done that. Um, we have some friends, you know, they moved with their kids to be able to put them through school. And I know here, you know, the staff here at this school, their, their kids do get a, a, a pretty significant break. So that's another good idea. Anybody else? You need to write that down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hold on. I supported myself through college by taking grants and loans. Very, very and I, true. And I went to Loma Linda University, so you know how expensive that is. <laughs> Definitely we do. <laughs> um, you know, we talked about kids as well as parents putting in money. Um, talk to your kids. Your grades make a difference in the grants you get. Be diligent with your work, and it will make a difference in how much money and help you get for going to school. I've heard of some parents who said, you know what? We will help you to the part that grants or scholarships that you should have gotten, you know, we'll cover the rest, but you need to get that scholarship part. And if you don't get that, then you're going to have to take a loan out on that part. You'll have to pay so. for it yourself. <clears throat> okay. Um, any, any, anything else? We learn from each other. Okay. Now we're going to turn. What's that? No, I'll do that right here. 
Okay. Um, we're gonna no, actually, we're gonna turn the corner now. So why don't you do that now? Uh, just you know, for Elsie and I, because we have a software program, and she enters all the monies we spend in data. We try to account for every single dollar that's spent, put we're it in the category. And then we used to have, we don't do it all the time, but we usually have like yeah. an end of the year or annual review. We look at it and we say, you know, we kind of spent a lot of money in this category. We could probably cut back a little bit here on this one. This one here is a little underfunded, so we need to put some funds over there. But, you know, you just kind of look at what you did. It's good to sit down with your spouse and, and you can look and say, it's great. It builds you know, work, working together. Uh, but then you can actually look at what happened, and you can reprogram your budget to tweak it a little bit to make it more effective for you. Yeah, we didn't talk about that at all when we talked about budgets yesterday, and that's really something that's important is to do a, a review. And budget will only work if you're both on the same page. If only one person is doing the budget, and you know you got a, a you got two in a marriage, if only one person's doing the budget and the other one is resisting it, it's not going to fly. So. It really helps if you're on the same page together and working together. And the best way of doing that, there usually is one person that's doing most of the actual day-to-day -day work and the figures, but don't leave the other one out. I don't know, I don't care who it is. If it's the husband or the wife, it doesn't matter. Whoever's doing the day-to-day -day needs to make sure that the other person is clued in on a regular basis about what is going on with family finances. True, too, is that there's usually a spender who marries saver. a saver. <laughs> So honestly, um, you might have to reach a compromise where you allow a certain amount that you agree on uh, for the spender to be able to spend. You know, so if they know that they have a little bit of money that they can spend and it's okay and they can spend it any way they want, um, then that allows they're satisfied. But if you say no, we're, we got a tight budget. Here we go. You got nothing to spend. Um, rebellion becomes a dictator. Mutiny on the bounty could be relived. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you got to work together on it. Okay, now we're going to talk, we're going to turn the page a little bit and talk about training, actually training our kids. We talked a little bit about the beginning, about having that Christian environment, but now actually teaching kids the value of work. Um, why don't you do this one? So, so we uh, took a class. Some of you guys ever heard of Growing Kids God's Way? It's back a few years ago. I don't know if it's still that much um, out there. But. Uh, anyway, one of the things they, they said about teaching the value of dollars to their kids was uh, their kids wanted to get something extra. I don't know, it was like 50 bucks or something. And they said, well, you're going to have to earn it. And there are some jobs around the house that you can do to earn it. Uh, for example, living in New England, every winter there's a freeze and then there's a thaw and all those rocks appear out in the garden space. And so for every bucket of rocks you pull out of the garden, take we'll give you a dollar. Got to take it to the rock pile, one buck. So um, they began to do the rock pile thing. And eventually they, they got it. But years later, what happened, babe? Well, years later, and this is kind of a funny story, um, their kids grew up, got married, bought a house, and mom and dad were asking, you know, how much was the house? And they said 150,000 trips to the rock pile. So they, they, had, they, they understood the value of a dollar because they had put in the work for the value of a dollar. They understood that a dollar meant a trip to the rock pile. And I think it does our kids really good, especially when we have so much plastic and you just swipe it. They don't have any concept of what money actually means because it's just, you know, you just swipe the card, you know, it's just, that's how you get stuff. And, and they need to understand what, what constitutes a dollar? 
and it means work and how much work is it and and it for kids they need concrete stuff so give them a trip to the rock pile to help them understand the value of a dollar so there's a whole you know some people want to give um with a monthly allowance or something like that, or others say, no, you're a part of this family enterprise. You have responsibilities. Here are your jobs you do every week, but you can earn money by doing extra beyond that ordinary jobs. Um, so either, either way, somehow kids need to be able to earn or some money so they can learn how to manage it. Yes. Yes, please. So I always thought of, of helping my kids learn even now uh, the value of money and just to get so excited if they get a little quarter or something. But my question to you guys is, um, how do I make it like, okay, this is a chore because you're part of the family. You're supposed to help anyway. I don't need to give you money for this because you're part of the family versus something that they can earn. Like what kind of, you know what I mean? Like what kind of things can they earn and what kind of things should be just helping? Well, you know, I, again, I'm not gonna tell you what you have to run your family. Um, I think it's gonna be different from each family, how you divide that up. Um, for me, personally, um, the things that that I do on a regular basis, the kids should do on a regular basis. You know, I make my own bed. I pick up my own clothes. I keep the house clean. Um, the basics, I think, are part of what we do as a family. We, we help each other out. Um, so at my house, when we were growing up, my dad got us some feeder calves, and we put in a pipe system, and those sprinkler pipes need to be changed every day or so. So I got a dollar twenty-five for every day that I changed it to benefit the feeder cows and help the grass to grow. So if it's something above and beyond your regular, then I think that should be paid for. Um, my husband um, paid the kids to change the oil in the car. That was an, you know that was something that you know a lot of people just take it in to be the oil change. So he said, you know, whatever I would pay to take it in, I will pay you to do the oil change. So um, that was good for them to learn how to change the oil. Um, when they would detail our cars, and we have a son who really loves to do that, and I'm telling you, when the car is done, it looks like it came out of a detail shop. You know, he, he vacuums every little crevice, and he does a really good job. And also, we pay according to the ability, or the, not, also the kid's ability, but also how well they do. You know, if a kid just goes and vacuums it out, you know, well, that job was worth about a dollar. But if he gets in there and he works for an hour and a half on getting it totally clean and he dusts everything and he, you know, then it's worth more. So it, you know, they need to realize, and this goes, um, the value, the work ethics. We need to teach our kids that, that when you do a job, you do it heartily as unto the Lord, right? Not unto man. So we, we need to help them to understand that they're not working for me, they're working for God. One of the, one of the greatest legacies you can leave your kids is to understand the value of work yes. and having a good work ethic. When you get a good resume of previous employers who say this kid really works hard, they're dependable, reliable, I'd highly recommend them unreservedly, that's worth an awful lot. If you have a track record that's not so good, you're probably going to lose that on some great jobs down the road as you're going to college and trying to so make So work ethic is, is, you know, showing up on time, being able to work without constant supervision, 
Um, being ethical and you know not not borrowing things from work for yourself. All these little things that um, we expect of employees in the workplace, or we expect of ourselves, we need to actually be teaching our children that. Doing um, your best, going yeah. above and beyond, those kind of things. Yes, absolutely. Um, for our kids, when we were um, at one of our churches a long time ago, the church needed a janitor. So I took the job as a janitor for my kids, and they helped me every week clean the church. And I'm telling you, that was probably the best experience for the kids. Um, it taught them work, but it also taught them why you don't chew gum in church because they had to clean gum out of the carpet. And I'm telling you, they get so frustrated when they see people not handling gum right because they know how much work it is to get it out of the carpet. And they also learned about, I think that the jobs here and cleaning the bathrooms is a wonderful job because they need to learn how to get their hands dirty, you know? And Becca would say, when they would go to camp with the girls, she says, the girls would just say, ew, there's hair in the sink. And she says, I just got in there and cleaned it up, you know? Because she had spent time cleaning bathrooms. It wasn't a big deal to her. And I think that those are, are valuable lessons for our kids. Okay, we're gonna move on to teaching kids how to budget. Um, I came up with this, or um, found it on our NAD ministerial wives website. I think this is amazing. Um, so when your kids get money, you teach them right off the bat that they have to split it up. This was from the NAD ministerial. Oh, that's actually not on there. Sorry. You're going to have to write this one down. <laughs> you could go. It's, a, it's on our ministerial um, NAD shepherdesses page on Facebook. But um, 50% they get to spend. So right off the bat, they're thinking, I only get half of what I, what I earn, right? 30% goes to savings. And 20% goes to tithes and offerings. And it is amazing if you start right off the bat with them. I didn't have those high of percentages. I wish I had. that. I like these percentages better than what we did. We did 10% tithes, 10% offerings, 10% savings for the kids. So they got 70%. But it was interesting because when somebody would pay them, not pay them, give them um, a gift, like for birthday, um, grandma gave them $10, immediately Daniel says, well, that's $7 for me. So he, I mean, he didn't think, oh, that's $10 for me. Immediately he thought, oh, that's $7. Well, you know what? We do that with our paychecks. We know that we are not going to get everything we make. Uncle Sam takes a whole bunch of it, right? And insurance takes a bunch. And it's like... We, we know that as adults, that just because they say they're giving you 15 bucks an hour doesn't mean you get 15 bucks an hour. We need to teach our children that. So if right off the bat, every time they get money, they have to put half of it away, they realize real quick that if I want to buy something that costs $50, I have to actually earn $100 in order to pay for that price that's $50, right? So it, it's good for them. Um, I also wanted to show you, and I, for some reason, um, I missed the last part, so none of this is on your handout sheet. I don't know where I missed that, but these are some really great resources for teaching your kids about money. I'm going to just show them my favorites. Here we go. And um, so they have different age groups. 
So the ABCs of handling money, and this one is for really young kids, ages 8 to 12. ABCs of handling money. And then you have the secret of handling money God's way. Oh, I'm sorry. That This is the teacher's guide for this one. I was going to say that's the same age. Okay. So this is for 8 to 12. This is kids. They also have a teacher's guide. You don't need the teacher's guide it's if you're doing it with your own family. I use the teacher's guide because I taught this at, in our Adventist school. But, um, and then they have... This is the students. This is for older students. This is kind of um, high school, college age students. And I don't know where my... I have another one for like uh, ages 12 to about 16. And I don't know what happened to that one. So anyway, um, you can get all of these through Crown. That was the website on there. Um, you can also get it through Moody. Moody Publishers. But I, I have these out on the table. I don't have them on any of my resources list, so you're going to actually have to write down the information. This is another series. I don't like this one quite as much. Um, the kids kind of found it fun because there was little cute cartoons in here. But this is also, you can get these through Moody. Um, money Matters for Teens, Money Matters, uh, money matters for Kids. So those are also fun. Um, I just finished, actually, let me have the other ones. I actually just finished doing this series. Um, where It's got to be out there somewhere. The one that's just a little bit older um, at, our, at our local school. We spent the last 12, week of, uh, 12 weeks of school going through this one with the school kids. And each lesson has a story. So it's, it's very simple, and the, the, the concepts are really, really basic. It's not rocket science, but it's just talking about um, saving. It's talking about, how, first of all, how God owns everything, just like we talked about our first day, how God actually owns it all. It's not ours. We're his stewards. And they, they teach these lessons through a little story, and then there's questions for the kids to answer. They talk about debt, staying out of debt. They talk about... Um, Shopping, I don't know what happened to it. Um, they talk about influence of peers on your spending habits and how you can be a good influence on others and how you have to be careful not to let other people influence you. Like, um, you know, so-and-so has a new thing and now I want it. So all these just little things at a kid's level, it's really good. Say that again? Um, this one's the ABCs of handling money. Yeah, um, I'm trying to remember it. I just finished it, and I can't. I, maybe it was. No, it wasn't that one. It was the one. You know what? I will, I will get out after class. I'll give it to you. But um, I, I also did this with my kids at home, just personally, um, when they were really young. And I think, and I wish that I, this is something I would have done differently. I would have gone through the different levels with the kids, because as they grew up, their understanding changed, and I wish we could have put it through them again. I don't think I did as good a job teaching them as I wished I had. In fact, I know I didn't. Um, but I think sometimes we just, at least I do, I just assume they're going to get it because I do it that way, right? But if we're not intentional in teaching them, they don't get it. And that's where, um, yeah. 
Okay, this was... So Robert Morris, I love his book, um, Beyond Blessed. Anyway, he said, a lot of times you say things like, you know, we can't, uh, we can't afford it. that. Do you want me to read it? Okay, yeah. it's going to take a little bit more. I also exhort parents not to tell their kids that they cannot have something because we cannot afford it. The message, we cannot afford it, sends it to the kids is, if we had more money, then we could have it. Kids internalize this as money delivers happiness. Many an adult workaholic or spendaholic started out as a child making a solemn inner vow along the lines of, when I grow up, I'm always going to have money so I can have whatever I want. Instead, we need to be intentional about teaching our children to value what God values, people, love, relationships, service, loyalty, and mercy. So, you know, if I say, well, we can't afford it, that means, you know, it's something I would buy if I had money. Well, not all the time. Sometimes we use that as an excuse where even if I had the money, or maybe I do have the money, there's no way I'm going to spend it on that, and I need to tell them why. You know, it's not made well, it's too expensive, it's, um, it's just something you want because everybody else has it. That's not a good enough reason for something. So we need to give kids a more concrete reasons why we're not getting something. And... Huh? Oh, that's right. Oh, these are two more quotes from Ellen White that are really good. Um, and this has to do with teaching our children. In the study of figures, the work should be made practical. Let every youth and every child be taught not merely to solve imaginary problems, she's talking about like math, but to keep an accurate account of his own income and outgoes. Let him learn the right use of money by using it. Whether supplied by their parents or by their own earnings, let boys and girls learn to select and purchase their own clothing, their books, and other necessities. And by keeping an account of their expenses, they will learn, as they could learn in no other way, the value and the use of money. And also in the book Education, she said, rightly directed, it will encourage habits of benevolence. It will aid the youth in learning to give, not from the mere impulse of the moment, as their feelings are stirred, but regularly and systematically. So we want, to we want to teach our children about giving on a regular, systematic way. Is that oh, and there's one more. There are many things which can be devised with taste and cost far less than the unnecessary presents that are so frequently bestowed upon our children and relatives. And thus, courtesy can be shown and happiness brought into the home. You can teach your children a lesson while you explain to them the reason why you have made a change in the value of their presence, telling them that you are convinced that you have hitherto considered their pleasure more than the glory of God. Tell them that you have thought more of your own pleasure and of their own gratification and of keeping in, and of keeping in harmony with the customs and traditions of the world than making presents to those who did not need them than you have of advancing the cause of God. And that's Council on Stewardship. She has some really, you know, that is actually one of my top books, is the book Councils on Stewardship. If you had a chance to read through it, you would see everything we've presented, plus what much, much more. She has some really great wisdom. All right, so we'll have closing prayer. Father, thank you so much for all the wealth of wisdom you've given us through the spirit of prophecy and the Bible principles, as well as great Christian authors that help us to know how to be good stewards. And we think about our kids, which really aren't ours, they're really yours. Mm -hmm. Our goal is to set them free from the debt trap 
that plagues America so they can be free to serve you as missionaries and as witnesses and disciples. So bless our families that are here today with success as they seek to be good stewards for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.